Good morning. Please join us in today's worship with Majesty number four. worship this morning is Psalm 145, verses 1 through 7. This is David's Psalm of Praise. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. 
They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. Amen. Amen. And, um, of course, humanly speaking, one of the most terrible of his acts, to use the King James phrase, is the very fact that God would die as a human being. So let's continue our worship with number 247, the old rugged cross.
then let us pray. Lord God, we have gathered here today to worship you on the first day of the week, to remember that it was on the first day of the week that our Savior rose from the dead. But we have just sung about his death on our behalf on Friday. And it just occurred to me the only full day in the tomb was indeed the Sabbath day of rest. Lord, you are so awesome. We can never understand all of who you are in all of your ways. But we have gathered here to be in your presence together. And we pray that your spirit would just fill this place, fill each and every one of us. Help our hearts to be focused on you and grateful to you for all that you have done. And may all that we do be in humble worship and gratitude. We ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And now, if uh, you will take your bulletin inserts, let's um, pray together our prayer of confession. You have asked for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for our mouths to speak out against injustice. We gave you only a whisper that we might not be accused. You asked for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them, for we did not want to see. You asked for our lives, that you might work through us. We gave you a small part, that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive all our calculated efforts to serve you only when it is convenient to do so, only in those places where it is safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy for us to do so. Father, forgive us, renew us, and send us out as usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. Oh, and that word instruments is going to be key in in our text uh, this morning, or one of the keys. Well, let me just give you the assurance that the Apostle John gave to scattered and persecuted Christians late in the first century. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins in his faithfulness and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in his justice. And again, righteousness is another key of our morning this morning. Well, let's continue uh, to worship the Lord with two more songs. Number 408, I Surrender All, and number 426, Lead Me to Calvary.
Heavy song. And now we will have our scripture reading for this morning. Romans 6, 1 through 14, and Matthew 6, verse 24. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? Therein. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead Indeed, unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness mm. unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead 
and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but you are not under the law, but under grace. It's Matthew 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold the one to the other and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. And let us pray. Lord God, we know your ways are not our ways. But the corollary to this truth is that your way is not easy for us. We fear death. So when we realize that the only way to be right with you and to have life that is in all of its fullness that you give by grace, we must first die to our sins with your son Jesus on the cross. And this can leave us feeling paralyzed with fear. But if it is a reverential fear of you in your awesome wonder, it will lead to the faith of Jesus that gives us the full measure of your grace. So please do that good work in all of us. And also fill us with your Holy Spirit so we have a continual awareness of him and that we constantly seek your guidance in all things that we do, both great and small. We pray for the world. And may we, as part of your worldwide church, do our part in your mission. Please, first, show us how we can minister to our neighbors that are close by to this building. And surely there are ways we can serve them in your love. We pray for our nation. May your people be such shining lights of love and grace that people who are in darkness will be drawn to your light. And all around the world, please, Be with your people, especially as the big bullies like President Putin and the communist leaders of China seek to harm their neighbors and actually oppress their own people. And as many of our leaders in the United States are attacking your church, calling us hateful bigots, may we respond in love. And as we begin to petition you for individuals, I thank you that after my sister messaged me on March 29th, that her husband, my brother-in-law, who had been diagnosed with cancer back on October 16th, had lost 75 pounds due to chemo and radiation and had not eaten in six weeks due to the cancer being where the esophagus joins the stomach. She let me know this very Wednesday 
that the latest biopsy showed no sign of cancer whatsoever. Now, we don't know why that some experience miracles while others continue in suffering. But we will rejoice whenever we hear of your goodness. And so, Father, with this, we we pray for Allie and, and all that's going on with her, but also for her sister, Emmy, her twin sister, who's going through a very hard time right now, um, just dealing with with um, death and all kinds of, of personal things. And it seems that many of us are going through that right now. Indeed, Father, we pray for Elin and Christine and all that you know in the church that I might not be aware of who need a physical touch and a spiritual touch. Please be with them and strengthen them in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And Father, speaking of grieving, we pray for many that we know who are experiencing grief. Nancy's and Joe's families, and I think especially of my brother in Christ, Ray, Bonnie, Gino, Moore. We pray for Ken and Rob and Peter, Linda, Billy, their mother, the whole family. Father, we pray for Ginny and her family, Kurt and Dory, um, Sally and Jimmy. Thank you for Renato and Debbie being here today. Uh, We pray for Al and Carol. We continue to pray for them and thank you for the hope that you gave them uh, last weekend and early this week. And we pray for Darren and Noel celebrating their 14th wedding anniversary in Boston today and the actual day is Wednesday and they'll still be there. And uh, if they're watching, Father, let them know that we love them. We pray for your word. May it open our hearts to seek um, you in your way and to love your way in what you have asked us to do. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will enable and empower us to do that which is often very difficult. And I just pray for myself because... You know, I felt that this was uh, one of the most um, difficult and complicated and powerful passages you've ever given me to deal with. So I pray that you will just help me to deliver it calmly and truthfully, to explain what you have put in there rightly, uh, to interpret it rightly. Uh, There's a little bit of application in there, but I pray your spirit would show us the application today and in all the time to come. And um, when our words fall short, I thank you for the model prayer Jesus gave his disciples to pray, which really covers everything of importance. So with one heart and voice, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And uh, now we will um, sing this amazing song that was written just 21 years ago, uh, In Christ Alone. It, it really has the whole gospel in four verses. It's, it's amazing. Let's sing it together and think of him.
Amen, which could be translated, it is true. God's ways are not our ways. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. But he has given us his word, and his word will accomplish his purpose and succeed in his objective for which he sent it. And those who heed his word will enjoy peace and fruitfulness. That's a summary of Isaiah 55. Now, most people want to have a long life of peace and productivity. But few people experience this all the time. Even though there are hundreds of people, and you'll see them in all the media who claim to have found the way to have a good and long life. And if you just listen to them long enough, they'll claim that anyone who buys what they're selling can have what he or she desires by just following a few easy steps and, of course, continuing to buy what they're selling. Well, this brought me back to to Job and something that his friend Eliphaz said. By the way, Eliphaz name, or Eliphaz, means my God is fine gold. And he threw out this nugget to Job. Um, He believed that a spirit had taught him, that's what he claimed, that people need to fear God, seek him, and respond to his healing reproof. Because man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Now, this is absolutely a general truth. It's true in almost every circumstance. We're born in trouble. God can help us. The only problem was it didn't really specifically apply to Job in the circumstances that he was in because God had said Job was the most righteous man on earth. And maybe now's the time to comment. Uh, I looked up what Yov, that's his name in Hebrew. There is no hard J. You know what it means? This blew me away. It means hated. You see, Job is an example. His very name reflects how God chooses the least and the despised by the world to bless which is what Jesus' last beatitude says. So after all three friends had gone through a cycle of telling Job what he needed to do, he responded to them by saying this, man is a few days and full of trouble. And you know what? This is how it feels for many, many people in life. I think that's why so many people can, can identify with Job. Now, sometime after Job, Moses was addressing the Israelites just before they were to cross the Jordan and go into the land that the Lord had spoken to Abraham about, that Abraham's descendants would be given that land 
by Yahweh God, the covenant God of relationship. And Moses, five times in that final address, at least five times I found, talks about what it means to have a long and good life. I've given you the references. I'm only going to do excerpts from his first and his last. He began by saying, you will keep his commandments that you may prolong your days in the land Yahweh your God is giving you for all time. And he concluded at the end of his song that he taught them to always sing, take to heart all the words. It is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this world word, um, you will live long. So, Again, this is a general promise of God for his people. He's telling all people with ears to hear and to listen to what he says in faith and do what he says in faith that he will bless his people and give to them collectively long days. But you know what? There's only one problem. And all of scripture that comes after the five books of Moses describes that. And that all of us as people are just broken enough that we need a physician to write us a strong prescription to save us from ourselves. And that's where our first reading, our primary reading from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to churches and Christians in Rome is so important, okay? He teaches that to have a new life of righteousness before God, what is absolutely necessary, first of all, is to die. And what he means by this paradox is that we all need to die to sins with Messiah, Savior, Christ Jesus in Greek, on the cross. And as a result, as a result of our death with him to sin, we will receive resurrected life and his righteousness as a gracious gift. And then we also heard a, a profound single statement from the Lord Jesus in the middle of his sermon on the Mount and what it had to do about serving and masters challenges all people of all times, but especially Americans in a culture, we're living in a culture saturated in materialistic consumerism. And what Jesus says is that each individual, each individual can only serve God in love and faithfulness, that's one choice, or reject and despise him and his ways in favor of self-centered consumerism, and that will lead to destruction. So with all of that, we need to brace ourselves and let us pray that as we go much deeper, at the end of it, every one of us can commit to serving God in love because he loves us so much. So this Romans passage, and I've been thinking about it a lot ever since Friday morning, it divides into two halves that basically give the same message, 
but with different words. So there's a basic truth that's in here, and it's repeated. And then each of these halves has two parts, and even the parts correlate with each other. So let me give a summary of the first half. Do not remain in sin and ignorance, but die with the Messiah to sin in order to live in his righteousness. Okay, that's a basic truth. And Paul starts, and I'll summarize the first part. Those baptized into the Messiah were buried with him in his death in order to live in newness of life. That's the purpose. But there's a way to get there. Let's look at it phrase by phrase, line by line. So Paul starts this chapter, then what will we say? May we remain in sin so grace may abound? Well, if you know the context of where Paul is in the letter, he had just discussed God's grace towards sinners in his son. And he anticipates people who will use grace as a license and say, okay, it's all right to keep on sinning. I'll be forgiven. He goes on after he asks these questions. Should we continue to sin? Will God's grace cover us if we do? May it never be. Now, this is a phrase that I I have learned from, from training and teaching. It occurs 15 times in the gospel and the New Testament. And in our language, it is no way. Okay. Now, the first time, and it's only once in the Gospels, is in the Gospel of um, Luke. And Jesus told a parable, and a heavy parable, of tenants in a vineyard who disrespected the owner to the point where he even sent his son, and they killed his son. And Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And the witnesses that were there at the occasion Jesus gave this, the people were cut to their hearts. They knew he had addressed that parable to them. And they were afraid. They didn't want to kill God's son. So they said, may it never be. Okay? So Paul set the stage, and now he gets into the heart of his teaching. Everyone who has died to sin, how will we still live in it? The Apostle Paul again asks, always identifying with them. It's always first person plural, we. He's saying, I'm with you. All of us who have died to sin, of course, that's with the Messiah. How can we still live in it? And the answer should be, we cannot. We cannot. So he goes on, or are you being ignorant? And the word ignorant is actually used here. When he says, don't you know, he says, hey, you're being ignorant. That as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, um, that's Greek, Messiah, Savior, using a little bit of English, into his death, we were baptized. So, And again, I hope all of you know this, that in the very act and sacrament of baptism, going under the water, 
which is the beginning, the first half of baptism, that signifies death. Death to sin with Jesus on his cross. And we'll get to it in a minute. In fact, we'll get to it right now in the next verse. It's followed by resurrection. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that even as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, in this way also we, in newness of life, may be walking In other words, Christ was raised from the dead. The resurrection of the Messiah changes everything. If there's one combined event that changes life for everyone in the world forever, Jesus died and he rose. If we share in his death to sin, we will share in his resurrected life. In other words, this is the result for us. It is a new way of living and conduct by God's grace. If we died with Christ, we will live with him and we will live as he lived. I talked about people's desire for Life for the good life, for full life, for abundant life. Life comes only from dying to sin in Christ. Then comes the life. <clears throat> so he concludes the first uh, half, and I'll summarize part two. For if we have been with him in his death, also. In his resurrection, we will be so the body of sin may be destroyed in order to have been made righteous. So again, line by line, starting in verse five, for if we have been closely associated, that's what planted with actually means, closely associated with the likeness of his death, also of resurrection we will be. So Paul is restating what he said in the first part of this half. The amazing truth that those who die to sins with Christ will also partake of his resurrection life. And then he says, knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with him, so might be destroyed the body of sin that no more we being enslaved to this body of sin or what can sometimes be called the flesh. So here is God's purpose and the result of what Jesus did. God's purpose is to reconcile us to himself, to deal with the brokenness and the sin that's in all of us that we are powerless to do anything about without his help. And here's the result. All who are in the Savior by faith are always knowing they have been crucified with him to sin. So, and he says, might be destroyed the body of sin so that we no longer serve sin. This is God's will 
for all people in his son. Paul has to say may, because sadly, many people reject this even when they've been told it. But this is God's will. And then he says, because the one having died has been made righteous from sin. That's verse 7. Now, many of the translations say freed from sin. But the word is translated 95% of the time righteous. God calls us to righteousness, and he gives it to us if we have died with him. What Paul is now saying here is the most wonderful, gracious trade that God ever offered his people. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I have that passage on the back of your bulletins, here is this, Christ, he takes from us our sin and gives to us his righteousness, Who wouldn't make that trade every day? Oh, Jesus, you want my sins? Here, I'll give them to you. Oh, you're going to give me your righteousness? Are you kidding? All right, all right. Life only comes from dying to sin in Christ, but it comes and it is real life. Now in the second half, Paul talks about the same truth, but you can sum it up this way. We must die with Messiah, Savior to sin, and then offer ourselves to God as righteous instruments. And then the sentence we heard from Jesus tells us what that's all about. We do that by shunning wealth for its own sake. Again, that's what people tell us we need, but it's not what we need. So let's, again, look at the two parts of this conclusion to our Romans passage. The first part is summed up this way. If we died with Messiah, we are believing we will also live with him to God. Again, verse by verse. But if we died with Christ, we are believing, that's where the continuous faith comes in, that we will also live together with him, having known that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he is no more dying. So again, it's all about Christ and our being with him. The first step to having eternal, abundant, and meaningful life, a summary of John's gospel, is to die with Christ. But here's where faith comes in, too. We must also believe that because he rose from the dead, if we are united with him, that means that we will also have his life by faith. Life only comes from dying to sin with and in Christ. Next verse, death is having no more power or dominion over him because he died to sin once he died. I didn't pause right there. The word is repeated. Because he died. He died once to sin. But he is living. He is living to God. So this is cool. Death is no longer Lord over him. This is a powerful master, but it doesn't have power over him because he's more powerful. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. And notice once, once for all, it was unique. He only had to die once 
And his unique death made all of the difference. Now, the the second half can be summed up this way. We must also count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in the Savior, offering ourselves as instruments to righteousness. So Paul goes on. Likewise, also, you all must consider, reckon, count yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living to God in Christ Jesus. Here's that key phrase that Paul uses over and over again, tens of times, more than 30 times in his letters. It's called the sphere of operation. Where do we have this? Where do we find this? In Christ, we must be totally submerged and submitted and be in Christ. He's the only person in whom we can be fully dead to sin and alive to God. Christ Jesus, the King and Savior of all who receive him by faith. Paul continues, therefore, sin must not rule in your mortal body. In the body of you all, in order to listen to the lusts of it. So this is being Christ-like. Now, the word here is a lesser word. It's only a king. And there were many kings, and there are many kings in the world, and not many sovereigns. But we can be freed. Death is not the Lord and master of Christ, and sin must not be the king of his people. The way to be like Christ and not subject to sin and death, again, is to be fully in him. And then he says, neither must you all offer your members as instruments of unrighteousness, unto sin, or the lust thereof, as King James says. And I believe he is primarily talking about individual members of a church. So he's addressing the whole church, and he's saying the members of your church must never yield to sin and unrighteousness. It could also be understood, as many people have taken it, especially in our individualistic West of these days, that members keep their entire body, their flesh, clean. But then he goes on with the most important statement to date, the next to last statement. But you all must offer yourselves to God as from the dead living and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So this is an offering. You see, the members of the church must offer themselves to God rather than sin and unrighteousness. Now, this very word for offering, Paul used later in this letter as he begins the practical application of the truths of Jesus. And he says, present, but it's the same word, offer, present, can use a lot of synonyms, but present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, and the offering is as those who have been resurrected with Christ to a righteous life after their death to sin with Christ. 
So living to God in righteousness, that's our purpose. That's why God made us, that we can share in his righteousness and share in his work on earth. After people die with sin, to Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus, they are given grace to live to God in the righteousness of faith. Life comes only after dying to sin in Christ. And then Paul concludes, and and this is heavy and I may take more time than what I have in the outline. Sin no longer has power over you all because you no longer are being under the instruction of the Torah only, but under grace. Now, before I get to grace, a very interesting thing is happening with the words that Paul is using. At first, he said, death and sin have no dominion over Christ. It shouldn't be ruling over us as a king. Now he's saying, as a last word, we can be exactly like Christ, and it won't have dominion over us either. And what he's saying is, as I began, Moses laid out the way that whoever could do it would have eternal, abundant, and blessed life. The only thing is we can't do it in our own strength. So we are no longer just under the instruction of the Torah. Without Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's just a hopeless goal. But with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and the grace that is the gift that God has given us in his son, the Savior and the King of Kings, we can do it. We can have victory over sin and we can have life. Okay. And now I'm calling this a coda because the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount really bring this all together and and help us to choose the life that is life. People are not able to save two masters. What did James say once? You're being double-minded, right? We can't do that. And this is especially true with God and what I'm calling materialistic consumerism. So let's take Jesus' statement in two parts. He says, no one's being able to masters to serve because either the one he will hate and the other he will love. So here's an assertion. And really, you know, there's a lot of authorities, all right? And every human person that is in authority is different from other people in authority and treats um, those under him or her differently. Why? Well, there's another truth too. And this is where it can get really tough for people that have had many bosses. Human nature being what it is, if there are two masters, if, if some employee has two bosses, for example, they will always have a favorite. And people will be much more devoted to one boss over another boss or vice versa. And everyone will give more of their service, more of their time to either one or the other because you can't give it to both. And then Jesus continues, or to the one he will hold fast and the other he will despise bottom line 
you are not being able to serve God and mammon. So let's look at this. The result is that a servant will always choose one master to steadfastly serve while despising the other. So how do we handle this with God and with mammon? Because here it is. Jesus concludes, we must choose to serve either God or mammon. We can't serve both. Now, in America today, I believe that mammon is our obsession with consuming material goods. But there can be no satisfaction, let me make this as clear as possible, apart from a right relationship with God through Jesus. That's worth more than everything that's in the world, and I mean that. You see, people who do not know Jesus will be taken in by sophisticated advertising, and they have the most brilliant people in the world doing surveys as to how to entice people to do silly things. They will be taken in to think that they can buy satisfaction in this or that. So they go out and they buy it. But whatever it is people buy, after they have consumed it, in a short time they find they're still empty. So they buy the next big thing being marketed and and saying you will have satisfaction with this, the satisfaction you're craving. They will buy it. They'll still be empty. People who live this way will be forever spiritually malnourished. And and this hurts to say, but there's Christians that can fall into this trap. They can trust in Jesus, but not far enough. And they get caught in this trap of trying to find things outside of him, and they don't grow as much as they should spiritually. But the bottom line is, serve God. No one is like God. That's why we should serve him wholeheartedly. He is the one who created us and has provided the way to be in a covenant relationship with him through the work of his son on earth 2,000 years ago. People, Jesus is saying that to have a satisfied life, we must value his father God as our greatest treasure. There is no second best. God, people, is the greatest treasure. So to live what Paul was telling us people to do what we need to do, die to sin and live to Jesus, treasure God fully. So let's wrap it up. Those who die with the Messiah to their sins will live in righteousness and they'll offer themselves to God as righteous instruments. And they will shun slavery to materialistic consumerism and wealth acquisition in order to serve God in love. We love him because he first loved us in Jesus. And the starting point, the way to get on all of this is it comes from, first of all, dying to sin with Christ. And then everything wonderful follows. 
Amen. And let's sing as our prayer. Number 412, draw me nearer. Our good word this morning is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the end of chapter two. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. But he's not dead in vain. And through him, we have righteousness. 
Amen. And let us close uh, reminding ourselves that it's in Christ. 53, you are my hiding place. Yeah.